from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Verse Jude 1, 3, and 4. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write about you, about the salvation we share, I, compel, I, am, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now from 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 4. I am jealous for you with a, with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid just that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put, it, you put up with it easily enough. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we look into your word this morning that you would touch each one of our hearts. hearts Lord, I just ask that you would show us change we may need to make in our lives. Lord, I just ask that you would be at work in each one of us, draw us closer to yourself. Pray that you would give Trey the words to say this morning that we might be challenged. And Lord, once again, I just really ask that you would move in each one of us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jay. All right. Uh, welcome, Grace Bible Church. Good morning. We can do better. Good morning. All right, glad you had your coffee this morning, and uh, welcome to Grace Bible Church. Hey, if you have your Bibles, now would be a wonderful time to get uh, the Bible out and turn with me to the book of Galatians. Uh, we're going to be camping in the book of Galatians chapter 1 this morning, so if you have your text, uh, that's the place to go pretty early on in your New Testament. If you happen to have uh, forgotten your Bible or not brought it with you, uh, there should be a pew Bible kind of scattered throughout the congregation, and so turn with me in your pew Bible to the book of Galatians, page 943. If all of those fail, hopefully text should be up on the screen. So again, the book of Galatians, as we begin a series this morning, a new series this morning for the fall called Counterfeit Gospels, Counterfeit Gospels, uh, and part one this morning, the reality of counterfeits, the reality of counterfeits, Galatians chapter one, starting roundabouts verses six through nine, and uh, what I hope to do this morning is this, let me, uh, let me just read the text for you, um, I'll start uh, in chapter one, verse one, and I'll read through verses uh, one through ten, and uh, just to get kind of a feel, and then we'll kind of focus in, narrow down on verses six through nine, as we see part one of Counterfeit Gospels, the reality of counterfeits. So let's read the text together, and then we'll pray to get started. Galatians chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Christ Jesus and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. 
Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Starting in verse 6. I am astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some of you are thrown, uh, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. As we have already said, and so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the very word of God. Let's pray this morning and we'll jump in. Father, thank you again uh, just for a wonderful morning. Uh, Thank you that we can come and have fellowship together, that we can demonstrate uh, the love of the brethren uh, together and that we can serve and honor one another. Thank you that we can come and worship you. Um, It's such a privilege and a joy for us to lift our voices in song. It's such an honor, Father God, for us to come before you and and sing to you and worship you. And as we reflect on the truth of what we've sung, our hearts are even stirred even more uh, because you indeed are a good God and your Son is indeed a good God. And the Holy Spirit is indeed a good God. And so, Father and Son and Spirit, we worship you this morning. We give to you our hearts, our affections, our mind. And even this morning, we pray that you would give, uh, that we would give you our our attentiveness and our attention as we hear from your most holy word what it is that you would have to say to us. And so, give us open hearts, give us open minds, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Father, open my mouth so that I would speak accurately, so that I would speak truthfully, uh, so that I would speak boldly uh, by the power of your Spirit. Uh, saying the things that you would have for me to say that are in accordance with your holy word. And so we invite your presence, we thank you for it, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, as you can probably uh, tell, we are shifting gears. Uh, for the summer, we have uh, been in a series called The Idol Factory. As you can tell, The Idol Factory is, is no longer here. And uh, thanks to Pam Dodd and others who helped put that together. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a bear getting apart, actually. So well done uh, for that. We're going to be in a new series called Counterfeit Gospels. Uh, in part one this morning, The Reality of Counterfeits. Uh, I ran across a, a couple stories this, uh, this week in my preparation that I just found fascinating. And it regarded uh, warfare. Um, in the Civil War. And so historically, I learned this week, historically, one of the most potent weapons in warfare in our uh, modern age has not been the sword and it's not been the gun, but it, it has actually been counterfeit currency. Yes, counterfeit currency. And I read a couple accounts of how counterfeit currency helped, helped the North defeat the South in the Civil War, and I found this quite fascinating. So I want to read to you just one little uh, excerpt, one little clip uh, from uh, one legislator during that time in the South. In fact, he was from the Confederate Congress, and he said this about how the North forged Confederate money in hopes of devaluing the real currency of the South, flooding the market with all of these counterfeit bills. This is what one legislator said. And I quote, uh, wherever their armies have invaded our country, that is the north invaded the south, these notes have been scattered. That is these counterfeits. This, and hear this, this is one of the most destructive blows made against our government. 
one of the most destructive blows made against our, our government. Listen to this. The aim and tendency, the aim and tendency is to destroy all faith in the currency of the country. Did you hear that? What then is the aim of this counterfeit currency? It was to destroy the faith. It was to destroy the people's hope, the people's confidence in the currency at the time by devaluing it, by flooding the market with everything that is fake so that those in the South didn't know if it was a real bill or if it was a fake bill, thus devaluing the real thing. And I would suggest to you this morning that in America, we have a counterfeit problem as well. Not a counterfeit money problem, but a counterfeit gospel problem. We have a problem with counterfeit gospels. And indeed, our enemy sows the seeds of these counterfeit gospels through all sorts of avenues and all sorts of means. And he, like the North at the time, sows in these potential weapons, not of physical warfare, but of spiritual warfare. Not counterfeit money, but counterfeit gospels. And just like the counterfeit money in the North was intended to devalue the real thing, to create confusion over what the real currency was, to make it less noticeable, to make it less valuable. So I would suggest to you that our enemy, Satan, in his spiritual warfare against the church in America has sown counterfeit gospels, and his intention is to confuse you. And his intention is to confuse me and to devalue the currency of Christianity, if you will, which is the true and real good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, what we're going to do in part one is simply this. We're going to discover the reality of counterfeits. And I hope that you saw way back when, 2,000 plus years ago, as Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, that there indeed was a counterfeit problem then. And I would suggest to you that that did not stop in the early church, but that counterfeit gospels have been true ever since Christ has come onto the scene. And so three parts this morning. If you like taking notes, if you want to know where we're going, three parts, uh, kind of typical sermon this morning. Number one, the reality of counterfeits. Verse six, we're going to discover that there are counterfeit gospels. Verse six. Secondly, we're going to find out a few things about the nature of counterfeits. That is in verses six and seven. What are these counterfeit gospels like? And then thirdly, verses eight and nine, we will learn about the preachers, the preachers of counterfeit money and what Paul has to say to those who speak a counterfeit gospel. And it's not It's not going to be pretty. And so let's begin, uh, point number one, the reality of counterfeits. There is indeed, as Paul identified both in the churches in the region of Galatia, and if Paul were writing to the churches in America America today, he might write the same thing about the reality of counterfeits. So let's read verse six again. Let's read this together, verse six. Paul begins, uh, and notice, If you're familiar with most of Paul's writings, he begins and he's very cordial. He praises the church for what they've done well. It's very friendly and nice. Paul has a semi-friendly greeting. He says, grace and peace to you. And then in verse 6, there's no cordiality. He's not nice. He plunges right in addressing the problem head on because the situation is imminent and dire. He says, I am astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a, notice the words, to a what church? To a, to a different, a different gospel. And so the point that I want to make in verse 6 is very simple. We'll, we'll go back and look more in depth about verse 6. But there is a reality of counterfeits in that century and there is the reality of counterfeits in our century. There, were, there was different Gospels back then, 
And there are different Gospels today. Notice what he said. He begins uh, by saying, I'm astonished. I'm amazed. In the Greek, this is not just an amazement of, uh, of uh, you know, I can't believe you're doing this. It signals disapproval. It signals disappointment. It, signal, it signals astonishment. It's not, I'm amazed that you made an A on your math test. That's not the kind of connotation here. It's, as I, and when I say to my son, I'm amazed that you just pooped in your pants consecutively in 30 minutes and you didn't go in the potty any time. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm amazed and astonished. I can't believe you've done that. And I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated that you've done that. This is the language that Paul speaks to, to these churches, these churches in the region of Galatia. He says, I just can't believe that you've fallen for a counterfeit. Um, historically, when we put the pieces together, it could be, um, it could be as soon if t- as two, three, four, maybe even five months after Paul has visited this church, after Paul has planted this church, a- after the church in Galatia has, has, has come to become Christians. It, it was a very short time after coming to Christ that this counterfeit had come in and they had fallen it. Uh, I, I ran across a story from a, a wonderful preacher by the name of Haddon Robinson. I don't know if you've ever heard of any of Haddon Robinson's stuff. He's a wonderful preacher and he tells this story. He tells a story in one of his books about a Chinese boy and this young Chinese boy wanted to learn about the stone jade, the stone jade. And so he went to this talented old teacher and I'll read you the story. This gentleman brought, uh, gave this young man a piece of this precious stone and he put it in his hand and he said, son, hold this stone tight hold on to it and then he began to talk about philosophy he he began to talk about history he began to talk about anything and everything under the sun other than jade and so this young boy was disappointed and he didn't question his teacher and so day after day he came back and the the old wise teacher said here hold the jade tightly in your hand and then he just talked about this or that and what was going on and it happened week after week and eventually this young boy became frustrated as I'm sure you and I would as well and so he eventually got up the nerve to ask the teacher and he said what are you going to tell me anything about jade? I mean, I, I've, I've come to learn about this precious stone and all you've had me do is hold on to it in my hand. To which the old teacher responded, um, well, we'll see tomorrow. And so the, the, he came back tomorrow and lo and behold, he put a rock in the boy's hand and the boy took the rock and began to talk about this and that, politics and the other. But then he began to realize that something just wasn't right. Because instinctively he said, this isn't jade. And the teacher said, that's exactly right. And so you see the point of the story is that the way that we get to know the real thing is by holding it tightly in our hands, by feeling every nook and cranny, by investigating every contour of the real thing. And the same is true with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more we hold on to it, the more we grasp to it. When somebody comes along and puts a fake gospel, when somebody comes along and peddles a counterfeit gospel, we will instinctively say, that's not the gospel. That's not jade. And so the church here had not held on to the gospel long enough. They had not studied the gospel well enough. And so when somebody, some false teacher, some group came along and they slipped in a different rock, a different gospel into their hands, they didn't know. They didn't say, this isn't jade. They did not say, this is not the gospel. And my fear is that if somebody tries to slip a different gospel into your hand and into my hand, that you would not know the difference. And so verse 6, there is a reality of counterfeits. There are counterfeits today, just like there were counterfeits then. So number one, 
there are counterfeits. Number two, Paul goes on to describe then about the nature of these counterfeits, and he tells us four things. So if you're taking notes, four things, four Ds. Number one, the nature of counterfeits we see as we look back into verse six. Number one, it is a desertion of God. That is, when we buy a counterfeit, we desert God. When we buy into a counterfeit, we desert God. Let's look again at verse six. He says, I'm astonished that you so quickly are, what's the word? Deserting. He says, I am so astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. And so notice, the very first point is when we believe a counterfeit gospel, it's not just we're off theologically, although we are. This is a desertion of God. This was a military term. It was no small term. In fact, to desert in that day was a military term. And so you fought for Rome or whatever it, that nation that it is that you were fighting for. It was used of political or uh, a military desertion. It was like a soldier who would be fighting for his army and then he would turn around and stab his fellow soldier in the gut. It was a desertion. It was turning away from that which you once believed. We've seen this in America, have we not? We all remember in 2009 the Fort Hood shootings. Do you recall that? Uh, General, hopefully I'll get his name right, Major Hassan. He killed 12 of his own, wounded 31 U.S. soldiers within the confines of a military institution in Hood, Fort Hood. It was desertion. He was turning his back on the one he had committed himself to. And Paul uses that kind of term, and he says, You've deserted God. You haven't turned your back on fellow soldiers. You've turned your back on God himself. So number one, the nature of counterfeits is a desertion of God. Number two, not only do we desert God, but we deny grace. When we believe in counterfeits, not only do we turn our backs on God who called us to himself, but we deny grace. Notice he says you're so quickly deserting the one that is God the Father, the one who has called you to live in the grace to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And so we don't learn the full, this is not an in-depth or an exhaustive list of the nature of counterfeits, but one thing we do see is that not only do we desert God, but we deny grace. That is, the true gospel is a gospel of grace and glory. That is, it's what God does for us, not what we do for him. It's about him doing that so that we would glorify him as we were made to do, but instead we try to earn our salvation. We try to do things to get to him for our glory. And so the true gospel is a gospel of grace. The, the counterfeit, historically, that Paul was battling was, I would, I would call, uh, it was legalism. It was, it was simply this. There were Jews who came in amongst these Jewish Christians, most likely, and they said, hey, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You need to obey the Old Testament. You need to be a Jew. You need to keep doing all of these things, and then you will be saved. And Paul steps in, and he says, no, if you believe that, you're deserting God. No, if you believe that, you're denying grace. He says, God has called you to live in the grace of Christ. And so I want you to hear, you to hear this clearly. The true gospel is a gospel of grace. It's about God coming down in the form of person of Jesus Christ, not because we deserve it, but because he loved us. It's about Jesus living a perfect life that we could never live. It's about Jesus dying a perfect death that we deserved. It's about him being resurrected from the dead so that simply by grace we would earn right standing, be born again, and it's simply by faith. It's simply by accepting this gift that we become believers. And Paul says, you've believed in a counterfeit and you've turned from grace. 
I would suggest to you that some of the counterfeits that we're going to examine in the upcoming weeks are returning from grace. Are returning from grace. Not only did the Galatians turn from grace, but in the counterfeits that we might encounter in our American culture might be a turning from grace as well. So there is what I would call the therapeutic gospel. And what we do is we seek to save ourselves. We deny grace and we seek to save ourselves. We save ourselves from our own unhappiness. We're unhappy and we're going to save ourselves. We save ourselves from our own guilt. You're feeling guilty? Well, here's how you can fix it. From our own immorality, the morality gospel says you need to save yourself from how bad you are by simply being good. There's what I would call um, the judgmentless gospel. And the judgmentless gospel says you need to save yourself from a God who, who judges. You need to save yourself from that God because that's not a real God who might actually judge and punish someone. The social gospel says we need to save ourselves from all of the injustice. We need to go out and fight injustice around the world and simply eradicate it, and it's a form of saving ourselves. There's the churchless gospel that says we need to save ourselves from organized religion. All organized religion is bad, and so we're going to save ourselves from organized religion. See, all the counterfeits are all about what we can do to save ourselves from something from God's wrath, from, from unhappiness, from something. But the gospel of grace is what God has done to save us. And so the nature of counterfeit, we desert God, we deny grace, and then thirdly, we defy good news. We see this in verse 7. It's a defying of good news. Let's read that again, verse 7. He goes on to say <clears throat> that this gospel, this different gospel, which is really... It's really no gospel at all. Now, the word gospel simply means good news. And so what Paul says is, you've turned from the true gospel to a different gospel, and that gospel that these people are peddling to you, that you have to keep the law, that you have to earn God's favor somehow, it's not good news. You think it's good news, but it's really not good news at all. In an April edition of uh, Bits and Pieces, a magazine for preachers, um, I came across this article, and I think it fits really well. And so the, t- the story is told of a farmer, and uh, we are, live in a farming community. And so a farmer goes to his banker, and he announces to the banker that he has good news and that he has bad news, and that he'll begin with the bad news. So he said, here's the bad news. And the banker said, okay. <clears throat> and the farmer said, well, I can't pay my mortgage right now. And that crop loan that I've taken out for the past 10 years, well, I can't pay that off either. And there's more bad news. Not only that, I'm not going to be able to pay you the $200,000 that I have outstanding on my tractors and the other equipment that I've, uh, that I've purchased. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to give up the farm, I'm going to have to turn it all over to you, and you can salvage it as you see, see fit. And so the banker uh, uh, looked at him and said, that's, that's bad news. <laughs> that really is bad news. Um, I can't imagine that there's good news here, but, but I'll, I'll dare to ask you, uh, what is the good news then? And the farmer said, well, the good news is that I'm going to keep banking with you. <laughs> now the point of the simple and funny story is that to the banker, Was that good news? That's not good news, is it? It's not good news. And what Paul simply says is that any counterfeit gospel, there is no good news to it. 
The good news, the true good news of the true gospel is this, that we can be made right with God, that from birth we have gone astray, that because we sin and because we're sinners, we're separated from a holy God, that we can be reconciled to him, that we can be made new people, that it's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card, but God actually comes and indwells us in the person of the Spirit, causes us to be set free from sin's power as we progressively progressively live out this Christian life. We can be set free and we can be changed and eventually one day Christ will return and we will be resurrected. We will be new. We will be completely saved and we will not deal with sin any longer. And the best part, the best good news of the good news is that we will see Jesus Christ face to face. That is the best good news. That's the true good news. That's the good news that the Galatians had turned from. And that's the good news that we turn from when we accept counterfeits. You see, because counterfeits, counterfeits offer good news as well. This is what I want you to hear. Counterfeits offer good news. Good news. But it's not good news. It's like the farmer's good news. It may be good news to him, but it's not good news to the hearer. And so the therapeutic gospel, the therapeutic gospel offer, offers good news and it says, well, God just wants you to be happy. That's all he wants. He wants you to be happy. That's the therapeutic good news. The judgmentless good news says that God is simply a God of love. He's not a God of wrath or a God of justice and somehow that should make us feel better as if that's the true good news. The, God, the morality gospel says, you know what? God will accept you. You can be in right standing with God. You just need to work a little harder. You just need to keep a few more rules. You just need to have a few more quiet times. You just need to do X, Y, and Z. And that is pitched as good news. You see, counterfeits have good news. But it's a false good news. And so the nature of counterfeits, we desert God, we deny grace, we defy the true good news. And then number seven, counterfeits distort the gospel. Verse seven, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people... Some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to, what? Pervert. And are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so simply this, the fourth nature characteristic, the nature of counterfeits, is that it is a distortion, a twisting of the truth. Now some counterfeit gospels are so far out there that there is really no element of truth at all. And the counterfeits that we're going to look at for the next several weeks, are not that far out there. They're not the kind of things that if you've been in church for a while, you're a believer, you're not going to fall, I pray to God, for for Buddhism (laughs) or for Islam or for some of those counterfeits. No, the kind of counterfeits that we're going to focus on are a little more subtle. There are hints of truth in counterfeits, but they're not the whole truth. In his book, Counterfeit Gospels, which um, I will be using much from his book, Trevin Wax, the author Trevin Wax, puts it very well. He says this, And I think the quote's on the screen. The only way that a counterfeit can fool people is that it looks much like the real thing. Do you get that? The only way that we're going to be fooled by a counterfeit is if it looks similar, right? Is if it looks like a real bill. He goes on to say, you won't find a counterfeit $100 bill that has a picture of Ben Franklin with a mustache, (laughs) right? He says, there must be something here that resembles the true gospel, Otherwise, people would never fall for it. In most cases, counterfeit gospels represent either, number one, a a dilution of the truth, or number number two, a truth that is out of proportion. And so what we're going to see as we examine counterfeits is that they all fit this bill. They are a diluting of the truth, or they are a truth that is out of proportion. 
And so we've seen, number one, the reality of counterfeits. They exist. They existed. They still exist today. Number two, we've seen the nature of counterfeits. That is, we desert God. We deny grace. We defy the true good news, and it is a distortion of the true gospel. And number three, Paul continues, and he wraps up this little section by saying, talking about the preachers of counterfeit. I don't know if you heard this well, and so let's, let's read it again, verses 8 and 9. Put yourself in the Galatians' shoes. This would have been shocking for them. In fact, most commentators say that this probably is the harshest words that Paul has ever penned. Paul has ever penned. Verse 8. But even if we, that is, he and the other apostles, or those who are associated with the true apostles, but even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Some of your translation may say, let them be accursed. If you have a literal Bible, it may say, let them be anathema. Have you ever heard that term? Raise your hand. Anathema, ever heard that term? That essentially means let God's judgment and curse be upon them. He essentially says, let them go to hell. That's strong language that Paul uses. And as if the first time him saying it was not enough, he says it again, verse 9. As we have already said, that is, I've told you this, Galatians. I've told it to you. I'm going to tell it to you again. As I've already said, and now I say it again, if anybody, and so he makes the, 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 the net wider from us to an angel, anybody, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than, one, other than the one that you accepted, let them be under God's curse. I can imagine the Galatians as they met in their house churches and as they uh, sat together and listened to this letter being read. Put yourself in that shoes. They're sitting on the, on, the, on the floor. There's a messenger. Maybe their elder is reading this message. And as the words fall from his lips, you can hear the gasps. Oh, did he really say that? He did really say that about the preachers of counterfeits. Because the urgency of the eternal danger of the counterfeit demanded an urgent warning. So for instance, uh, this was several months ago, but when Asher was still maybe a year, year and a half, he was just starting to walk, and we were kind of giving him a little bit more rope uh, playing in the front yard. I was sitting, uh, sitting in a chair in the, in the front yard and in our driveway, and he was playing and running, and I think he was playing with a ball, if my memory serves me right. And he kicked the ball, and it was heading out towards the street. And so we had been trying to teach him what, parents? Don't go into the street, right? Don't go into the street millions and millions of times. And so he began to kind of chase after it, and I said, Asher, don't go into, into the street. Just get, I thought he would get it. He was getting more and more obedient at that, and he keeps chasing it. I said, Asher, don't go into the street. I, I see it roll into the street, and he gets about 10 feet, I don't know, 10, 15 feet from the side. And at that point, what do you think I did? Did I say, Asher? Oh, Asher boy. Oh, son. Oh, dearly beloved. Please don't do that. No, what did I do? Asher, stop! That's what I did. Probably even louder than that. I hope I didn't hurt your ears. I'm sorry. Um, I yelled at him because I wanted him to know that he was in dire straits. It was a matter possibly of life and death. There wasn't a car coming at the time. There could have been. And so the situation demanded an urgent warning. And I would suggest to you that Paul, as he writes to this church, the situation of the counterfeit gospels was a matter of not physical life of death, but it could have been a matter of spiritual life and death. And so he speaks harshly as a parent who loves the sons and the daughters and wants them 
to not go out into the street. Notice what Paul has to say. He says that the measure of a message, the measure of a message is not the messenger. Primarily. He says the measure of a message is not the messenger primarily. Notice what he says. He talks about three groups of people. He says if we preach a different gospel, that's highly unlikely. I mean, but he includes himself in there. It's highly unlikely that those, uh, that Paul himself or Titus or Timothy or Barnabas or anybody, anybody associated with the apostles, it's highly unlikely that they would come and share a false gospel. But he says if, even if we do it, we are of the highest repute in the churches. If, and if we come and pitch a counterfeit, don't believe us. And then he goes maybe like a step down or maybe a step up, depending. And he says, if there's an angel from heaven sent to you, and this angel, apparently from God, tells you a different gospel, don't believe it. Don't believe it. And then he goes on to widen the nets, and he says, if anyone, if anyone preaches this, and so Paul, if he was talking to maybe our culture today, he would say, he would say, if Billy Graham comes and preaches a different gospel, if Chuck Swindoll comes and preaches a different gospel, or on the other hand, if David Koresh comes and preaches a different gospel, a counterfeit gospel, then don't buy it. And so let me offer, um, as we're wrapping up here, let me offer this warning. In our culture today, we are easily swayed by big churches, by TV, by radio, by message, by books, all of, that, all of those mediums. We're easily swayed. Just because somebody has a TV show on Sunday morning or Saturday morning doesn't mean that they preach the accurate gospel. Just because somebody has a megachurch Thousands of people. It doesn't mean that they preach an accurate gospel. Just because somebody is a best-selling author and it's on the New York Times bestseller list for months on end, it doesn't mean that they hold to an accurate gospel. Just because somebody has a THM or a PhD from Dallas or Moody or wherever, pick your school, Harvard, that doesn't mean that they preach the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean they don't. They might preach an accurate gospel. In fact, we are blessed to have churches that are thousands strong, And it's a true and accurate gospel. We are blessed to have people on the radio and TV who speak accurate and true gospels. We're blessed to have people who write books who are bestsellers for months on end, and they do preach an accurate gospel. But just because they have those mediums, oh, please, just be careful. (laughs) Please be careful. Uh, the the, the, The contrary is true. In our society, if somebody has never had a book offer in their life, if somebody doesn't have a TV show, if somebody's at a small church, if somebody doesn't have any education at all, it doesn't mean that they preach a false gospel. It doesn't mean that they don't know what they're talking about. They might very well, and it doesn't mean that they do either. And so Paul offers us this warning about the preachers of counterfeits, and he speaks harshly to them. And so in closing, we've seen the reality of counterfeits, they exist. We've seen the nature of counterfeits. We desert God, we deny grace, we defy good news, we distort the gospel. And finally, Paul has spoken to the preachers of counterfeits. And so the question that I ask for you that we are going to flesh out in the upcoming weeks is this. Could you spot a counterfeit? Could you spot a counterfeit? If somebody offered you a counterfeit bill, could you identify it? Do you know the real one well enough? If somebody offered you a counterfeit gospel, do you know it well enough? Or would you receive it? Would you accept it? Would you know the difference between real money and a real bill and that which I have in my hand, which is what? Monopoly money, counterfeit money. Would you be able to know the difference between 
the real and the counterfeit. As we continue our series for the rest of the, well, for several weeks, we're going to examine the true gospel. What is the true gospel? That's what we're going to be addressing. And then we're going to expose uh, what I consider to be some counterfeits, some counterfeit gospels in Christianity today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's timeless, that it's full of treasures, and that it's full of truth. Thank you that uh, we have those brothers and sisters who have gone before us, who have fallen for counterfeit gospels that needed correction, that needed rebuke, that needed harsh words. Thank you, Father, that there are stories and illustrations uh, wrapped up in your holy word that point us towards infant churches and uh, uh, immature believers, and some maybe who had been believers for a while who fell prey to counterfeits. Father, they were running into the street and there was danger and you've preserved this warning through Paul for us. And so Father, I pray for us as we begin to consider in our own hearts and our own lives, what is the good news of Christianity? What is it? I pray that we would think biblically. I pray that you would guard my mouth and my words so that what I say is true and accurate. And I pray, Father, for open hearts, even my own heart. I pray, God, that we would be open to see if we have counterfeit bills in our billfolds, if we have counterfeit gospels that we are clinging to. Dear God, help us because we want to love your son and we want to love and believe and preach the true good news of Jesus Christ. And so help us, we pray. We love you. We thank you for the day. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.